Good morning, Encounter Church. What's up, everybody? Wow, y'all are looking amazing this morning. So bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It must be that tomorrow's a holiday, so you get one more day to relax. So great to be with you. Hey, shout out to all of y'all online this morning, doing church online. You know, we recognize you could be anywhere in the world right now worshiping, but you've chosen to worship with us. And we, we love that. We love y'all. We see you out there. And hey, we are stepping into the fourth and final installment of our on-brand message series where we've been journeying through the book of Philippians, gleaning into the mind of Paul regarding what makes a Christian a Christian. And it's been a great series so far. Pastor Joe has been leading us through this the past three weeks, and I mean, he's just been doing a phenomenal job, just like hitting home runs every single Sunday, to the point where like, I'm looking at this going like, you know, experiencing anxiety, thinking that, wow, I have to follow in his footsteps. Like, he's been doing such a great job. I figure if, if I fall flat this morning and totally mess up, you know, we just call it a wash because he's built such a great foundation over the past three weeks that today we'll, we'll just forget about today, right? And we'll call it a great series. But it's, it's been so, so good. And, you know, this anxiety I've been experiencing, you know, building up to this moment right here, it's something that I'm really good at doing. You know, it's just kind of like confession time. I know it's early in the message to be opening up my heart to yell, but I figure, you know, never a, never a bad time to be transparent and honest. But I like to play the comparison game. And so I've been comparing myself to Joe as he's been leading us through this, you know. And, and I tell you, the, the fruit of that comparison trap is, it's anxiety. And it's fruit that does not taste very great. But hey, you know, although I'm up here now, I'm wondering what kind of anxiety is Joe and the rest of the encounter team experiencing? Now, like the interns up here, right? Like, so what's gonna, what kind of words are going to come out of the interns' mouth? You know, is he going to pass out up there? Is, is he going to start, you know, preaching for 90 minutes? Is, is he going to start swearing? I mean, do, do Canadians even swear, right? How many times is he going to say sorry? You know, these are the things that maybe they're starting to have anxiety about. But honestly, it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you this morning. And hey, if you don't recognize me and we haven't had the chance to connect yet, my name is Dylan and I have, you, I have been unanimously voted in as Encounter's favorite Canadian intern. I mean, it's pretty stiff riding, pretty stiff competition out there, but I appreciate all the love, all the support, all the votes. I love y'all. It's been so good. But as a Canadian, I, I kind of have another confession to make here this morning. And I'm going to say this a little bit quieter so all my friends and family back in Ontario don't, don't hear me, but I love Michigan. Such a great place. My wife, Jessica, my daughter, Brooklyn, and I, we relocated our lives from Ontario about 10 months ago. And this is the one thing we definitely agree upon, that we love the mitten. There are so many things similar about Michigan to Ontario. Maybe that's why we love it. Um, you know, so sometimes we have friends and family that ask us, you know, what's it like living in Michigan? And I say, well, it's, you know, it's not all that different. You know, the, the water is still fresh, quite literally. You know, the sky is still blue, and the grass is, well, you know, I'd be kind of lying if I told them the grass wasn't a little bit greener, because in reality, the grass here is way greener. Like, I don't know what y'all are feeding your grass here, some kind of like jacked up steroid-induced fertilizer mixed with like a little bit of home-style home ranch dressing or something like that, but I tell you, everywhere I go, it's like I'm at a golf course. The grass is green and thick and lustrous. It is just amazing. So shout out to all y'all grass enthusiasts out there who are doing your thing. I, I appreciate it, okay? It's great. It's a good look. But hey, on a more serious note, there are other things I've noticed to be quite similar between Ontario and Michigan. And one of these things we're going to lean into today is more of like a cultural 
thing right now. It's kind of like a societal norm that I think a lot of us are experiencing. I know my family and I, we experienced a lot of it as we made a decision to relocate our lives across the border, jumping through all sorts of hoops and cutting red tape during a global pandemic. Um, And it's something that I like to think every single person worshiping with us here this morning has also experienced in the past 13, 14, 15 months, whatever it is. But we're talking about anxiety. See, we just have so many reasons to be anxious right now. We've We've all struggled with it a little bit over the past year. You know, mainly because the world we're living in, it's becoming more troubling, more complicated. You know, even Christians, as Christians, we might even say it's becoming a little more hostile. And so if we think about sort of the, the pandemic, all the extra tension and stressors that we've experienced through the, the pandemic, you know, all the extra collateral damage and baggage, you know, it really has in certain situations drawn out the worst in society. You combine all that, and I mean, you look at the window, and although the sun's, you know, nice, it looks all right, like the world is a pretty messy place to be living right now. And so it's understandable how much anxiety and how much stress we might have trying to, to live our lives in this climate. But aside from the pandemic, I believe there is another reason why we are experiencing this kind of anxiety. Something we're going to lean into today, it's kind of like a, a branding going on in the world right now. Something that's like, like a narrative that you hear in advertising and marketing. It's, it's in the news, it's in journalism. I mean, it basically, it's a theme that transcends all of the media world, especially social media. It's often quite subtle, but it's, it's there. It's It's anxiety. I mean, it feels like the world is trying to capitalize on our anxiety. Not only like the anxiety that we already have from like natural things, but it's almost like they're trying to like create more anxiety in our lives to capitalize on that. And they use this in sort of their, their, their narrative. So I've got a few examples here I want to share with you in the hopes that you'll pick up what I'm putting down. So the first one is the recent political season we went through. I know it's kind of like a little time ago. But think about it, this narrative. Did you, did you hear this? Like, vote for this party or else this party is going to steer America straight into the gutter. Now, now I'm Canadian, so I didn't have the, the privilege of voting or the pressure to vote, but I sure still felt the anxiety. Because what happens is you start thinking, well, if my party doesn't win, what, you know, all, all the things that I care about, the values, the morals, like, are they, are they just going to be like, kind of like, you know, and, and that creates anxiety in our lives because we have to live in this nation together, Right? Or, or how about the, if you've been at the mall recently, or maybe you've been driving down the highway and seen one of these giant billboard-sized ads, like a, a shirtless man and like a, a half-clothed woman, and they've got like, they're all jacked up and beautiful. They've got like the most perfect smiles, and it's like, hey, buy this product or buy this beauty scent, buy this, you know, this clothing or else, dot, 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 and you kind of you fill in the blank. And if you're anything like me, you, you know, it might reinforce the idea that, well, you know, I don't really measure up to that. I'm probably never going to look like that. My teeth are never going to be that straight. But hey, maybe if I buy that perfume or, or that, oh, those pants, maybe, maybe I'll feel a little bit more like them. It reinforces that idea, and it makes me think, well, maybe I need to go to the gym a little bit more. Maybe I need to start eating a little better if I want to look like that, right? And it creates anxiety. And I mean, another one is it's iPhone, beloved iPhone, which I like to think most of us probably have iPhones in here for whatever reason. But recently, they've actually been using scare tactics in their advertising, like inducing FOMO anxiety, fear of missing out anxiety, not only to lure customers away from other brands, but even internally with their own beloved people that buy all their products. I mean, think about it for a second. iPhone is the only product that people will line up for in the middle of winter, outside for like three days in order to get their hands on the newest one. Meanwhile, the one in their pocket's probably only like six months old, right? Think about it. They've mastered this art of, of inducing 
anxiety in our lives in order to kind of control us in a certain measure. I mean, even think about social media in the most general and broad sense. You know, using Instagram as an example, you know, we, we scroll, we double tap people's highlight reels, kind of wishing that, you know, we were living their best lives instead of our kind of mediocre lives. You know, maybe, maybe you, you post a picture and you only get 10 likes, and you're used to getting 50 likes. You start to wonder, like, oh no, like, am I doing something wrong? Do people not like me anymore? Am I, am I losing my, my influence? And all these avenues, they, they promote anxiety. They make us feel anxious. And this cultural branding, you know, it's designed to do exactly that. To make us anxious so that we will do the thing, that we will make the decision, that we'll buy the product. And almost always, almost always, it benefits everyone else but us. I mean, it, this tactic, it works so well that sometimes it even tricks us into thinking that if we're not experiencing anxiety, if we're not worried about something, there's probably something wrong. And so then we grab a hold of something to worry about, right? You ever, like, found yourself worrying about something that, like, all of a sudden you realize, like, why am I worried about that? It doesn't even matter. It's because we're so trained to focus on anxiety that we just, we just need to do it. It's, it's like our comfort place. And so this is something that I want to lean into here today based on this statement. This is a statement you're going to hear many, many times. We're going to connect it to Scripture, and you're going to leave here remembering this statement. It is that what we focus on the longest becomes the strongest. What we focus on the longest becomes the strongest. And what you focus on the longest is what becomes the strongest is and that's what controls our emotions. That's what dictates our actions. And ultimately, that's what becomes our brand. But there's another side of anxiety that I just want to touch on real quick here this morning because I recognize there are reasons. You know, there's a lot of times that, you know, our worry is warranted. We have just cause. There's reasonable cause for us to have anxiety. I mean, in your lives right now, you can probably name a few things that you have, like, serious anxiety about, and they're legitimate I'm not trying to downplay those. Those are, are real things, right? It's not some of this cultural branding anxiety. It's like real life. And for many, anxiety isn't even about those things. Some anxiety is tied to a medical issue, maybe a chemical imbalance, maybe some type of a, you know, a mental health issue. And so I just want to be sensitive to that here this morning and, and to name that, to say that this message isn't meant to be some quick fix self-help gospel type message. Okay? What this is, is we're, we're digging into the Word. Okay? And the Word of God is where our hope lies. And it offers us hope in every situation and in every circumstance. And I'm hopeful that whichever spectrum of anxiety you land on today, you're going to leave here with a little extra hop in your step, with a, a little extra hope in your heart and a lot more of God's goodness on your mind. Amen? Amen. Awesome. All right. Because, hey, you know, the reality is we can't really avoid or neglect Anxiety, it's part of like the human condition. It's a human experience. And so we got to learn how to deal with it. But, and this is the big but today, what makes a Christian a Christian is our ability to not let the anxiety control our emotions, to not let the anxiety dictate our actions. Instead, what we can do is we can turn to God's word like we're going to do today, and we can see through his love and his compassion to his grace and mercy and wisdom that he's actually offered us an opportunity to take all of our anxiety Jesus hanging on the cross. We can cast all of our burdens upon him and let him take them to the grave so that we don't have to. Now would be a great time for an amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And hey, it might, you know, it might make you feel a little bit better this morning knowing that we aren't the very first generation to experience anxiety like this. The church that Paul was writing to in the Philippians, 
the church of Philippi, they were also experiencing some serious anxiety for some very specific reasons. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead, pull it up. Uh, you can pull out your phone or you can follow along on the screen. We'll have them up there. So we're going to turn to Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. And we're going to see what God has to say through Paul about living on brand as a Christian in a time where anxiety is on high alert. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul here, he doubles down on this word. And, you know, when you, when you come across a word like this, it's repeated multiple times, especially in the same verse. It's like, picture like God screaming down at you, like, wake up, pay attention. This is important. So Paul, he's, he's doubling down on rejoice here because he wants people to focus on the goodness of God instead of the trials and tribulations of their anxiety. Paul knows that what we focus on the longest becomes the strongest in our lives, okay? And joy, well, joy is a big part of our brand as Christians. You see, when we choose joy, when we focus on joy, we're actually choosing and focusing on God. And the irony of that is that actually our, our joy, the most healthiest part of our joy, comes from God himself. So when we choose joy, we choose God. When we choose joy, we are choosing his thoughts. When we choose joy, we are putting on the mind of Christ, knowing that what we focus on the longest becomes the strongest. So the more you choose joy, the more you choose God, the more you rejoice, the more you become like Christ. It's like tic-tac-toe, domino effect. It's kind of like this. If I was to take the next 30 minutes and talk to you about Coke, like the pop, Coke, you know, and I was to tell you how yummy it is, how tasty, how refreshing it is, I might even try to tell you how healthy it is for you. But you'd know that was a lie because it's definitely not healthy for you. You know, and I was to show you pictures of people pouring it into a nice ice-cold cup with, with ice in there jingling around, that thick syrup and like slow motion. By the end of that 30 minutes of me driving that into your mind, you're going to be like drooling, wishing you had a Coke in your hand. And then I'm going to offer you a choice between a Coke and a Pepsi. What do you think you're going to choose? I mean, if you chose Pepsi, you probably just have some, like, weird, deep-rooted issue and vendetta against Coke, and you're going to drink it bitterly, thinking, you know, kind of wishing you were drinking the Coke. But you're going to choose Coke every single time. There's a reason why Coke spends $4 billion annually on their global advertising campaigns. $4 billion. Like, do you know how many zeros that is? Like, I don't even know how many zeros are in. But they get it. They understand that what we focus on the longest becomes the strongest. So if they're constantly drilling Coke is the best drink for you, when you go to the store, you're the pop, I mean, pop machine's even a thing anymore? I don't know. But say you go to Meyer and you're down the aisle and there's like 1,500 different flavors of pop, more than likely Coke's going to jump out at you and you're gonna, you've been trained to think that Coke is your best option. I know we've all done it before. I don't even like Coke and I've found myself buying it before because they too get it. What we focus on the longest becomes the strongest. So when Paul says the words rejoice over and over and over again, his hopeful intention is that it will help reorient the minds of people to focus on the goodness of God instead of the trial and tribulations of their anxieties. And the thing is, like the really cool thing is that when we do this, when we begin to rejoice in the Lord always, 
It's kind of like the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us. Okay? And our gentleness is made ev- evident to everyone around us. The people begin to experience God's love and mercy and grace and kindness and joy through you without you even doing anything. Like if you track along with Paul through the New Testament, you see that almost everywhere he goes in every such people are getting saved around him. People are experiencing salvation. They're experiencing Jesus through him because the gentleness of the Lord is made evident through him because of his choice to rejoice always. Truly is a, a beautiful thing. And then Paul continues in verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul just names it here. I mean, do not be anxious about anything. I mean, he doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't try to soft sell it or sugarcoat it. He just says it as it is. And I mean, for some people, they can do that. They go, oh, okay, I shouldn't do that, then I won't. And I mean, we know those kinds of people. You know, we often refer to them as like Mr. or Mrs. Happy-Go-Lucky. Seems like they don't have a care in the world, right? I mean, I don't don't know how they do it. I wish I knew how they do it. Maybe we're we're learning something today, but it's kind of like— what is the secret sauce? Like, how do you go about your life living like you don't have a care in the world? Like, like as if Akuna Matata is replaying over their mind all the time. And you know what? Those kind of people, if I'm honest, sometimes I don't like them at all. Not because they're bad people, but because I so desperately want to live my life just like that, without a care in the world, where I don't have anxieties that are controlling me. And so Paul here, you know, he's not foolish to think that a simple direct command like that, to not be anxious, is enough for people to actually obey. I mean, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, it doesn't take long before you recognize that God's people, like we, we don't have the best track record with doing the things that God asks us to do, those direct commands, right? And so Paul knew that. And so in his wisdom, he then offers us sort of a, a step, an action. And you know, if we consider the reasons why the church of Philippi was experiencing anxiety at that time, we would all probably agree that, yeah, that's, that's justified. You guys, you know, you probably should be anxious about that. You see, because the church of Philippi at the time, they were a much smaller community of believers that were surrounded by the Roman culture. And they were so much different from the Roman culture that was kind of like saturating and taken over. And this existence of a group of people you know, a group of people that kind of had the mind of Christ. Like, I know we hear those words today, and we go, yeah, like, that's, that makes sense. We, that's not, like, super weird. Back then, that was weird. That stood out like a sore thumb. People who lived their life with, like, the mind of Christ. And, and that was enough for people to be suspicious of. And suspicion often gave way to gossip. And you know what happens with gossip? It gets all weird and contorted and twisted. And next thing you know, there's, like, weird allegations and accusations being thrown at these believers. And then there became this pressure to conform to conform to the Roman culture around them. And this sort of social pressure, it can be very difficult to live with. And for the church, it became a great, an immense source of fear and anxiety. And it didn't help, you know, the cherry on the top of the cake is this, that it didn't help that Paul was writing to them from prison. And he's like, hey, live this way. Live the way that I'm living. Live the way that landed me in prison. You know, think, like, we're talking about persecution here. Paul's asking, telling his people, telling the church to live the way that he was living, the way that got him in prison. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough. Those are big shoes to follow. And so what Paul does here is he provides a very clear 
action step, a key to countering anxiety. Paul tells the church that in every situation, especially those that are producing anxiety in our lives, to simply pray. Through prayer, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, Paul says. And the fruit of this, the results of this simple act of going to prayer, is God's peace. I mean, who here couldn't use a little less anxiety and a lot more of God's peace in their life right about now? Amen? So this is the first key to experiencing God's peace, taking your anxieties to prayer. And and this peace of God, Paul says it, transcends all understanding, which is really complicated to understand. I mean, I I honestly can't tell you how it works other than to say it does. But what I can tell you is that anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. And if you pit fire and water up against each other in battle, it doesn't take a genius to know which one is going to win every single time. So prayer, prayer becomes the water that extinguishes the fires of anxiety. Hear that again. Prayer is the water that extinguishes the fires of anxiety. And the fruit, the trophy, is God's peace. I mean, who wouldn't want more of God's peace in their life? The thing is, church, it's not always that easy. You know, I'm great at doing this thing. Sometimes we take our anxieties to prayer and we do this weird thing, and I don't really know why we do it, but I'll be honest, I'm really great at this. So you know, we have our anxieties, right? Like, here, here are some things. Maybe this morning you got in a fight with your sibling or your spouse on the way to church, and now there's like this weird tension and there's anxiety. Or, or maybe you just wrapped up school and you're, you're done with your degree now and you're looking for a job and it's really tough because you can't really find a job, especially like, you know, with this current climate. And, or maybe you've got an addiction problem and you're having a hard time overcoming. It doesn't seem like anything's working. Or, or, or maybe you've got bills piling up and it's like you just can't seem to get ahead in life. And, and you've just got all this stuff going on and you're, and you're carrying all this weight, all this these burdens of your anxieties around with you. And, and then we do this really good thing, right? We take all of our anxieties, all of our, our burdens, all of our worries and fears, and we, we do bring them to God. We're really good at that. And so we, we begin to pray, and we give them over to God, and it's, it's so good. You know, God, I got to pray all these anxieties. I just ask that you would help me take them away from my life. Help me, you know, fill me with your spirit, all these good things. We, we say a really good prayer. In the name of Jesus, we say, Amen. And then in that moment, it's like the world stops. It's like we look outside and the sun is brighter than it's ever been. The stars have aligned. And everything is good with our souls. Everything is good in the world. It's perfect. And if only we could just hang on to that moment, that little sliver of time. But then it, it goes as quick as it comes. And then we pick up our anxieties. We say, see you later, God. And we carry on living life, carrying the weight and the burden of them. Does this, does this sound familiar to anyone here this morning? I know I, I'm, I'm really great at doing this. I love going to prayer and then taking everything back. And I don't know why we do this. It's maybe a control issue. Maybe it's our, our lack of trusting God and the power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I really don't know. But Paul knew. And so Paul offers us a really practical step, a second key in helping with this area. In verse 8, he says this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters. Like, finally. Like, I, I figured that's like, once we've taken all these things to God in prayer, finally, brothers and sisters, 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, Paul understood the influence of one's thoughts on one's life. He knew back then that what people focused on the longest will become the strongest. And therefore, what a person allows to occupy their mind is ultimately what will sooner or later dictate and determine his or her speech and actions. And it becomes your brand. It becomes part of who you are. And so the first key here is to, to take our anxieties to prayer. And the second key is to not only leave them with God, not only to leave them there, but to then begin filling the void of our minds with things that are excellent, with things that are praiseworthy, which, whatever is true, whatever is, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Think of these things, Paul says, because what you focus on the longest becomes the strongest. And so if you're always thinking about these things, you don't leave a whole lot of room in your mind for all the anxieties of the world, for, for the billboard ads and the iPhone FOMO anxiety or the Instagram issues that we all have. I mean, we don't leave room for that because we're so focused on all of the things that are excellent and praiseworthy, and slowly we starve out that anxiety. And the best part? I said it before. God's peace. We begin to experience God's peace. Not only do we get to experience that peace, but, Paul says, that peace begins to guard and protect our hearts and our minds. It's like an exponential compound. Not only do we get to experience it, but then God begins to protect us and guard us from these anxieties. And you know, earlier I shared with you how I was experiencing anxiety as I was comparing myself to, to Joe, who's been preaching amazing sermons the last few weeks, right? And so I've been, I've been dealing with this on my own as I'm preparing. I've been trying to take my anxieties to God, to Jesus on that cross and leaving them with them. And I'll take like nine or ten things with them, with, to, to him and then I'll, you know, I'll take seven or eight of them back with me, carry them. And then I'll, I'll come to him again once I start getting like, you know, short with my family. I'm at the, the gentleness of the Lord is not evident into me. And so I'll, I'll come back to the cross and I'll leave a few more with him and I'll carry on my life. And I, and I did this repeatedly. Until I got to a point where I woke up this morning and I was so expecting to be filled with anxiety, to have worry about this moment. But you know what? I, I really didn't. I think I was experiencing God's peace. And I, I mean, I don't know how it works exactly, but I just felt good. You know, there might have been a little bit of anxiety, but you know, for the most part, I felt good. I felt like God was with me. I was experiencing God's peace. And, and I think part of that is because, like, I actually did it. If I'm going to preach it, I better be practicing it, right? Y'all want, like, intentionality. Y'all want, like, integrity. And so I'm practicing what I'm preaching. And, and this is the thing. Paul, he knew this because he was also living it. And check this. In verse 9, he, he kind of lands the plane of these few verses. He says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I know what you're thinking. You know, I read that verse and I think, wow, you know, sounds a little prideful. Sounds like Paul's stroking his ego a little bit here, right? Like, hey, look at me. I'm Paul. I'm so holy. I'm so righteous. Yada, yada, yada. But it's not really like that. You see, the church of Philippi, they didn't have this yet. They had some of it, 
but not what we have today. They were receiving it. Little did they know how authoritative the words of Paul actually were, but they didn't have this to turn to like we do. And so the, one of the ways that they learned how to live on brand as Christians at that time was not only by listening to Paul preach and teach, but by watching the way that he lived his life. And despite being in jail during the time of writing this letter, Paul, I mean, he was still living on brand as a Christian. He was still rejoicing always. He was still praying about everything so that he could be anxious about nothing. He was still focusing on things that are excellent and praiseworthy. I mean, he was modeling a brand of Christianity that God was calling him to, that God is calling us to, a brand that is truly worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, you might recall a few weeks ago, Pastor Joe, he, he started this series preaching out of the first chapter of Philippians, verse 27 specifically, which says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so as we come nearing the end of the book of Philippians, the book that you guys have been reading all along each week, right? One chapter a week. I know you've been doing that. What we get here in these six verses is like, it's like Paul's like rapid fire closing arguments, like the, his exhortations, the practical of how to do this, of how to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's like, don't just do as I say, but do as I do. Do as Christ would do. You see, even Jesus experienced anxiety, just like you and I. You know, in the final moments that he lived on earth as a free man, before he was betrayed by one of his closest disciples, before he was arrested and sent to the cross by the powers that be, he experienced anxiety on a level that many of us never will. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with some of his closest disciples, and his anxiety was on such high alert that he was actually sweating blood, which is actually a scientifically proven thing that can happen when there's like such high stress, high anxiety. And do you know what he did? I think you do. He did this. He went to prayer. He took those anxieties to his Father in heaven. Three times he pours out the cool, calming waters of prayer in order to extinguish the fires of anxiety that he was experiencing. And so it is through the redemptive power of Christ in us today combined with the the gift of the the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the one who leads us and guides us and empowers us, we too can do this. We too can live the way that Jesus lived, following in his footsteps, following in Paul's footsteps as we extinguish the trial and tribulation fires of our anxieties with the cool, calming waters of prayer. Knowing that what we focus on the longest becomes the strongest. And then we get to experience God's peace. So may we be reminded here this morning that we're always going to have anxiety in our lives. But this is the way that we avoid allowing it to control our lives, to control our emotions and dictates dictating our actions, not allowing the pressures of of the conformity of the world, those pressures that are saying, no, you need to be more like us, the way that the church of Philippi was experiencing. 
or the anxiety-inducing brands of the world that are trying to, like, to draw more anxiety out of you so that you will do the things that they want you to do. We have an opportunity to not let those things take up residence in our minds and, and control our lives and dictate our actions. So may we be reminded this morning that Jesus has paid the price already, not only for our salvation, not only so that we can accept this gift of salvation and spend eternity in heaven with God, but also in a practical way. He has paved the way so that we could live our lives on this earth full of grace, full of his gentleness, living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul calls the church then, and God is still calling us, the church, today to rejoice in the Lord always, to pray about everything so that we can be anxious about nothing, to focus on things that are excellent and praiseworthy, whatever is true and noble, whatever is right and pure, whatever is lovely and admirable. Church, may we focus on the goodness of God and experience his peace, knowing that God is with us as we continue living our lives on brand as Christians in a world that is becoming more and more hostile. We can do this, and we get to do it together. Please stand to your feet and let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to not only worship you, but to dig into your word here today. We thank you that you are a faithful promise keeper and and your word says that when we take our anxieties to you that we can then leave them with you and we get the opportunity to focus on you, on the goodness of what you've done for us. Focus on things that are excellent and praiseworthy, knowing that Jesus has already paid the price for us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. So Lord, we give you praise for that here this morning. And we just ask that you would continue to be with us through your spirit to lead us and guide us as we continue to, to put out the fires of anxiety with the waters of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.